Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. It's February 22nd. We still have another full uh, week left um, in this month of February 2024. I have a couple, uh, couple fun updates to talk about today. Um, so these are all, um, you know, some updates to approvals and then one new drug that's really exciting but also very toxic. So let's, we'll save that. We'll save the, the most fun for the for the end of the podcast. But let's talk about Flora 2. This is uh, OC Mertinib plus chemotherapy. So Tegriso, an EGFR um, um, targeting tyrosine kinase inhibitor plus chemotherapy versus just OC Mertinib in the first line setting for mesetic uh, non-small cell lung cancer with um, you know exon 19 deletion or exon 21 L858R mutation, the activating EGFR mutations. Um, this is Flora 2. So first line, AURA Flora. This study was published last year in New England Journal of Medicine. We talked about it at the time on the podcast uh, when this was published um, back in, in November of 2023. Uh, just as a reminder, this was about 280 people on either arm randomized to either OC Mertinib plus chemo or just OC Mertinib. Primary endpoint was progression-free survival, um, uh, and overall survival was a key secondary endpoint. Uh, so this was approved, this combination, and I talked about this at the time that you kind of we want to wait and see the overall survival, and we want to see what is the the second line therapy in those folks when they progress, um, and that's still the same. So we we don't have you know any we have a little bit more data which I'll talk about. Let me go to the pros and cons of this. All right, so here's the argument that I can make for OC Mertinib and chemotherapy as a new standard of care first line EGFR mutated non-small cell lung cancer. So there's a robust improvement in progression free survival. Median PFS was 25.5 months with OC plus chemo versus 16.7 with just OC murder. That hazard ratio is 0.62, 995% confidential, 0.49 to 7.9. So robust improvement of progression free survival. Uh, it's four cycles of chemotherapy plus the OC murder. And these folks often are progressing many, many months later, probably outside like a six-month period that we think of as platinum refractory in disease like ovarian cancer or small cell lung cancer. So conceivably, then you could, uh, you haven't burned through that regimen, you might be able to re-challenge them with the platinum when they do progress, um, either with the OOC plus chemo or just with the OC mertinib arm. Now, after you've already had chemo, you give them the same chemo, you'll probably get less benefit, right? Th those are the pros. All right, here are the cons. It's going to cost more up front. It's going to be more toxic up front, giving three drugs versus one. Um, and just giving platinum once in the second line setting after progression might work as well uh, in terms of overall survival. When I read the press release from FDA, there was a curious wording. It was uh, about overall survival being a key secondary endpoint, and then, quote, no trend towards a detriment was observed. And I was like, that's, that's kind of odd to say. That means there definitely wasn't a trend towards improvement if they're saying there wasn't a trend towards detriment in overall survival. Um, and if you look at the New England Journal of Medicine publication, there were two deaths at the time that was published in either arm. Okay, so yeah, no trend towards detriment. In the FDA label that was just updated for the approval, we see that 25 patients have died in the OC plus chemo arm. That's 9% compared to 8 patients in the OC monotherapy arm. That's 3%. That is a trend towards detriment, it looks like to me. 9% versus 2.9%. Was the exact number I think. Um, I'm also really this makes me I have a lot of questions because because the toxicity is more, but it's it's not like overwhelmingly more with four cycles of chemo, you know. So is 
you know, like is giving, if you think about, um, you know, we don't give tamoxifen with chemotherapy for breast cancer. Chemo kills rapidly dividing cells. Tamoxifen makes cells grow slower. And that, in theory, decreases the effectiveness of chemotherapy. A similar thing with tyrosine kinase inhibitors. We're stopping a growth factor pathway. We're not causing the cells to die right away like we often see with chemo. So by giving a TKI plus chemo together, are we somehow promoting chemo resistance? You know, I'm really curious what the progression-free survival 2 would look like for this study. Um, so, I, you know, it certainly doesn't seem like OC plus chemo is first line for everybody right now. You know, the, our favorite guidelines were just updated earlier this month. Now, before news of the FDA approval, but after this study's been published. Uh, now, they haven't updated the, the discussion in the non-small cell lung cancer, but the, the algorithm is pretty clear that OC, Merton, and monotherapy is the preferred option. And then chemo plus OC Merdiv is another recommended option. Uh, if you're looking for where would the role be right now for OC plus chemo, those with CNS disease had a hazard ratio, a PFS hazard ratio of 0.47, which is even more robust than what you saw in the overall population. So there seems to be more benefit in those patients up front. Probably would not, you know, like question an oncologist doing that uh, if they have CNS meds. For others, I'd be like, hey, you know, think about this. Uh, I, I, I would question it, uh, but ultimately defer to the oncologist because they're the prescriber, but it, it is worth questioning, I think, in that setting. Um, but, you know, these folks with EGFR-mutated non-small cell lung cancer, they do well with TKI, you know, a median PFS of 25 months uh, with chemo plus OC and, uh, you know, a median PFS of, of 17 months with just a, a tablet. These folks do pretty well, and that's, you know, the median progression-free survival of 16 months 16 months just with OC, which means some are are, are on OC Merdiv for, for, you know, much longer than 18 months or, and up to two years and doing well. Um, so we know the biology is a little bit different here. So I think it'll take uh, a while until we see that overall survival data. The other question that we have to ask, you know, most of these patients were not in the United States or, or in, uh, you know, the industrialized West, as we would call it. So the folks who are getting OC Merdiv when they progress, what are they getting, you know, what are they getting next afterwards? Uh, big question to ask there uh, that I want to see answered. All right, small update, very small update to Potnib, which was approved uh, like three years ago for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer with the, the MET exon 14 skipping mutation had its accelerated approval converted to a regular approval that's based on just longer follow-up and duration of response. There's no overall survival event versus anything. Uh, in the study. Um, what I am going to pass along is, uh, is sometime in the last year, they've done some updates to the Depotinib label. Just smaller things. There's information in there about how you can dissolve the tablets in just a, like 30 ml of water. You just kind of swish it around, stir it, and then uh, it, will, it won't fully dissolve, but it's easier. If you have trouble with a solid dosage form, you can do that. And then there's a warning added about um, pancreatitis, basically pancreatic toxicity, and that 13% of patients on Depotinib can have elevations of amylase and lipase. And the label calls for uh, for baseline and periodic monitoring of amylase and lipase. So if you haven't done that in your order sets, probably ought to add amylase and lipase labs at baseline and maybe for a few months afterwards for those folks on Tapotnib. Okay, the big update. This was all over Twitter, all over the news. And this was the approval of uh, cell or cell, which is the first cellular therapy approved for melanoma and one of the first big cellular therapies approved outside of a hematologic malignancy. You know, we had Cypulucel T, the so-called uh, prostate cancer vaccine that was approved many, many years ago and it didn't really pan out. 
as effective, but lifelucil is um, for metastatic melanoma in patients who have um, progressed on a PD-1, PD-L1 targeting drug and a BRAF TKI if they're BRAF V600E mutated. Uh, so this is tumor infiltrating uh, lymphocytes. Um, this is a cool half million for this drug. It's 500 plus thousand dollars is what it's going to cost. Let me walk through what has to happen to do this. It is quite involved, quite toxic, um, but still quite cool. All right, so first thing, you got to take out the tumor. You got to take out some tumor. Now that's going to be dependent on the location of the tumor. You know, is it easily resectable? Um, you know, if somebody has already had lots and lots of, of, you know, say pulmonary mets cut out and they're in their pulmonary met, maybe they don't have the lung function left to have any more mets taken out and the patient has to be able to tolerate a surgery to do that. So there are going to be some limitations on who is able to tolerate a surgery to get the resection, which means these are going to be healthier patients in this study than the general population. First point, tumor resection, and you're looking for the lymphocytes in the tumor, the TILs, tumor infiltrating lymphocytes. Those tills are collected from the tumor, they're cleaned up, and they're expanded in the lab. And these are CD4 positive and CD8 positive T cells. So these lymphocytes are already somewhat selected for activity for this tumor. They're already in the tumor milieu. They're already there. This is different than CAR T therapy where you're just taking lymphocytes straight out of the bloodstream. Okay. Um, now, in the case of leukemia, that's where the cancer is. Um, so there's some, I guess, some TILs and CAR-T for, for lymphoma. Uh, all right, and then uh, the package insert says the TILs are cryopreserved. They're frozen. They're frozen, okay? And, they're, and then they're sent to the facility, right? Now, before the patient gets their infusion of their tumor infiltrating lymphocytes that have been souped up and expanded in the lab, they have to get lymphocyte-depleted chemo. So 60 mg per kg of cytarabine for two, or not cytarabine, cyclophosphamide for two doses, and then fludarabine 25 per meter squared for five doses. So seven days of lymphocyte depleting chemo. And then you got to thaw and give the cells pre-med with Tylenol and, uh, and uh, like diphenhydramine, avoid steroids because you're giving lymphocytes. Um, so you give the cells and then after you give the cells, here's the kicker. You have to give high dose IL-2. So 600,000 units per kg every eight to 12 hours for up to six doses. The median dose in study was six doses. So most pa patients were able to tolerate it. Um, and that's to, in the patients, actually expand the population of the TILs. Uh, you know, high-dose IL-2 is not done a whole lot anymore. It's very toxic, but this was, high-dose IL-2 was kind of the birth of systemic immunotherapy in melanoma and in renal cell carcinoma. And was the first clue that there was an immune component to those two malignancies in particular. Um, so... I suppose some would argue the benefit is IL-2 here, but it's probably more than that because we do see we do see good response rates as we'll get to um, with with the tills. But IL-2 is very toxic. If you can imagine when you feel bad when you have influenza, it's because you have all these cytokines in your blood that makes you feel tired. Well, now you you're dumping a ton, like 1.2 million units of IL-2 into your blood every 12 hours. Boy, you're gonna, it's just going to cause a lot of inflammation, a lot of leaky blood vessels. You get hypotensive. Um, you can't just pour fluids in them because your blood vessels are leaky from all the inflammation from the cytokines. You get uh, oligarchrenal failure. Maybe you get a little pumping dysfunction. You get some pulmonary edema uh, that leads to that. So there are a lot of very, very strict criteria before you can give each dose and a lot of monitoring. You could almost think that IL-2 stands for ICU, and that's the level of care these patients need when they get IL-2. 
Um, and to that end, we have boxed warnings for prolonged cytopenias, internal hemorrhage. You know, we know that, that metastatic melanoma in the brain can, breed, can bleed spontaneously, uh, but even uh, a visceral organ internal hemorrhage has happened, severe infection, a cardiopulmonary function monitoring is required, and there's a warning for a treatment-related mortality of 7.5%. Out of 160 people who received this product, 7.5 died. That's when you're getting above 5% treatment-related mortality, you're you're way up there. Okay, so it's a very very toxic toxic substance. Um, there were now there are 160 people, I guess, in the safety population is where we get this treatment-related mortality from. From a tumor resection standpoint, um, you know, 111 patients had melanoma taken out of their body. 22 never got uh, life of cell, either because the disease progressed or they died or they had an adverse drug reaction to the lymphodepleting chemotherapy. Uh, there were another, um, you know, uh, I think nine patients who actually got a lower dose than is approved. The approved dose is 7.5 times 10 to the ninth to 72 times 10 to the ninth cells. Um, and there were some folks who got a lower number of cells. None of those folks that got a lower dose had a response. They didn't include that in the efficacy population. And then there were seven patients who had, um, you know, product does not meet specification. Don't know what that means. That was two patients. And then five patients who had, they were excluded to product comparability. Does that mean compatibility? I don't know. Product comparability. I don't know what that means. So anyway, we end up 160 people, I guess, got this drug because that's where we get the 16.5 or the 7.5 percent treatment mortality. 73 evaluated for efficacy. You would go through all this for a response rate overall of 30 percent, 31.5 percent, a 3 percent complete response rate. You know, for kind of historical measure, response rates of like 5 percent maybe would be seen with high dose IL-2. Uh, the key thing will be the duration of response. That's kind of what we saw with IL-2 is you wouldn't always have a CR, but you'd have a, a durable response for these for these patients. And some of these folks have had durable responses. And these are folks who 100% PD-1 therapy, 86% uh, CTLA-4 therapy, so ipilimumab, and then almost 58% had a combination PD-1 and CTLA-4 therapy together. Um, so these folks, uh, who are on this study don't have any options left for their metastatic melanoma besides, you know, imprecise options like surgery and radiation, which has have limited means the longer the disease course goes on. So, uh, it's it's a really it's an exciting approval for science because people have been hyping tumor infiltrating lymphocytes for a long time. You know, we have these lymphocytes; they're already trying to fight the cancer. Can we do more with those? and grow them up and give them to folks. And this is the first, you know, real evidence we have that we can do that. Now, this is an accelerated approval. I don't know what the confirmatory study would be as far as a, um, as far as a, a comparison. I guess just IL-2 would be a fair comparison. These folks are healthy enough for IL-2 because you're getting IL-2. But this is not just, you know, life of loose cell. It's life of loose cell plus lymphodepleting chemo and I, a hospital stay and IL-2. So I, I think this $500,000 price tag is just for the cells. It's not for the hospitalization. It's not for the chemo. It's not for the IL-2, I don't think. I don't know that for sure. But really expensive therapy. Um, so uh, something that we all need to be aware of, something that patients will ask. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of the origin of, of HEMOC as a discipline and that I always have to explain to, to students why, why hemoc? Why hematology, oncology? I, I get the leukemia, lymphoma, but why is your service seeing like anemia consults? 
Um, and it's because the first patients, the first physicians to give chemotherapy were hematologists. Uh, so they were the ones giving chemo for ALL and AML and, and children with, uh, with acute leukemia. So when it was time to start giving chemo for non-hematologic malignancies, who had the expertise? It was the hematologist, and that's kind of why hemonc are kind of wedded together forever. And at big centers, you have your malignant heme team, your non-malignant heme team, your medonc team. Well, you're going to have the, these malignant heme folks are going to be treating melanoma now because they're the ones that have the experience with cellular therapies, I think. And that's going to be where these patients probably are admitted if they're getting them on, on the service, uh, would be my guess. But something for, for centers to, to sort out for themselves. That's what I have this week. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on the app, formerly known as X, as at FarmDeatNib, and the podcast on X, Instagram, and threads at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter.